Good evening. I'm here in very snowy Belgrade, uh, and I've come because I think this story, and it is the biggest story in the world today, but this story about Novak Djokovic is a very, very important story. Here's what it's not. There are some out there, particularly on the left, who are busy on Twitter saying, what is Nigel Farage doing? I thought he believed in border controls. I thought he believed in an Australian-style point system. Well, yes, I do believe in proper border controls. I do believe that you shouldn't have a simply a, you know, an open door. But here is the point. This is not about borders. This is about the virus. This is about vaccinations. This is about the way big government is increasingly bullying people. All of you who regularly watch this show will know I've been warning here for the last couple of months something very dangerous is going on. Society has been divided up into those who've had the vaccination and those who have not had the vaccination. And increasingly, we're seeing a level of intolerance against those who have chosen not to have the vaccine that is moving to a level that I find frankly disturbing. European countries like Austria that are bringing in mandatory vaccinations. Italy where the over 50s from mid-February will find it virtually impossible to even go out and work. And I've argued this through and through. I've had the double vaccine. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, as some might want to try to call me. But the point is this. Even if you've been jabbed once, twice, thrice, four times, as many in Israel now are, you can still catch this virus, you can still pass it on. So provided the unvaccinated person has got up-to-date tests and is negative, what is the problem? If they catch COVID, they may well become much more seriously ill, because I am convinced that if you've had the vaccine, you've got a degree of protection. But it's about us not discriminating against a very large group of people. So. What is the truth? What is the truth about Novak Djokovic? Well, it's really very straightforward. He met the rules given by Tennis Australia, given by the Victoria State Authorities, who said, provided you've got a negative test, if you've had COVID within the last six months, you can come into Australia. And on that basis, he was allowed to board that aeroplane. On that basis, he was told, you can have a visa to come to Australia to play in the Australian Open. And what the Aussie government did is they decided they would make an example of this man. And by making an example of him, perhaps they could bully everybody else who didn't want to have the vaccine into getting it. They have made, I think Scott Morrison has made a catastrophic error. And I thought the judgment this morning was very, very clear that Novak Djokovic had met all the correct criteria. It was right that he was in Australia and to boot, the Australian government have got to pay his legal bills. I think it was the right judgment. I think it's a very important blow for freedom. It's the first time we've actually in the last two years seen a pushback against big state government getting stronger and acting frankly in many, many ways using arbitrary power. So I believe this was absolutely and completely right at a very, very important moment. And I'm very pleased that I've been here in Belgrade for the last couple of days. So the question for you, the question I want you to respond to is please, you tell me, is it right that Djokovic was freed this morning. Let me know your thoughts, your views. Now, around the world, there's been very strong opinion about this. This lady in Australia wasn't so convinced it was a good idea. I think it's ridiculous that no one will protest for anyone else except for a tennis player who is here in the country. 
and it's just, I think it's ridiculous. No one cares this much about anything else except for a tennis player. But in, I, I got to tell you, here in Belgrade, in Serbia, there's almost unanimity of support behind their man, the big star. That this has nothing to do with health, nothing to do with sport. It's all to do with control and totalitarian regime that's been implementing in Victoria and throughout the Australia as well. So my message to Novak Djokovic is, I don't have to tell him to stay strong. He is a national hero. And this is what happens when you touch the Serbian national hero. And now, thank you, Australian government, for creating the world freedom hero, Nova Djokovic. Thank you on behalf of my son as well. Stay strong. This is strike win victory for Novak Djokovic. Six, six love, six love, six love games. Well, I'm joined now by Goran Djokovic, the uncle, and we spoke to you this morning on GB News, and thank you for coming on. Um, I know that you and other family members throughout the day have spoken about what's happened over the last few days, and you've, you, you feel very aggrieved about the way Novak's been treated. Yes, uh, you know, the last six days we, we make, um, you know, Australian government make drama for the family Djokovic, you know, and uh, Novak, as you said, uh, he never dreamed that somebody like he, nighttime champion, uh, with regular visa, they forbidden him to get in. You know, this is something we. I still cannot believe. This is like a, like a dream for me. I, I, I think it's this is like a horror still. But you see, the things is changing from this morning, thanks to thanks to the courts and thanks to the, the judge who is who is doing his job. You know, and we are very happy about that. It was a long night, wasn't it? Because the hearing took about seven hours in all. I think. Yeah, I, I, I was I was surprised. I, I thought it will be like we see. Uh, I thought it will be only few few hundreds of, you know, I don't know, half an hour or something like that, you yeah. know, but it's, it's, it's happened that it's last seven hours. Like, so the judgment, the judgment was there and it could have been a moment for celebration, couldn't it, with, as I say, the legal bills being awarded against the Australian government, but there was a sting in the tail, and the sting in the tail was that the immigration minister, Hawke, in Australia still had the power yeah. to have Novak rearrested and deported and during that moment in time he was with his lawyer I know you spoke to him they put him under real pressure didn't they right so in, in the meantime he went he went to the office of the lawyers in the federal government uh, building and uh, trying to understand what is the next step you know even even the lawyer from the government he's threatening in front of the judge he's threatening that uh, the minister for immigration can arrest again Novak you know and uh, Novak was was shocked again and uh, and the judge said again that uh, and Novak is ready again to fight against this if if he do something again and yeah. he will ready again to be to to fight against it. Anyway, it isn't easy. Novak is happy right now. He was on the court and he's more than ready to play tennis, which is his job. Well, do you think that's the end of it? I hope so. 99% I think so because yeah. it will be I will be very surprised if they do something else. Well, I think the Australian government have a considerable amount of egg on their face already. Um, now, there is one other question I must ask you, which is this. The positive PCR test, which was part of the criteria to get the visa to go into Australia, that positive PCR test, that test was conducted here in Belgrade on the 16th of December. That, that's when the test was done. And we've got the documents to prove that. And yet, on that day... And indeed, on the 17th, there were a series of events, tennis events with young kids, etc., that Novak 
was photographed at. So did he attend those events knowing that he'd had a positive test? Yeah, what I can tell you about that, I can tell you that he was, since the virus started to be around us, uh, he has two times, one, uh, he has two times corona, once yeah. in 2020, once in December. This is what I understand. About the date, I have to ask Novak about exactly about that. I understand that he has on the 16th, but, you know, I don't know when he realized that he, he has the positive test. This so, is the only so, question. So when he got the results, we don't know. I don't know. I mean, I have to ask him because we, we don't speak about I, that, you know. So still, this could be the question, you know, and, and I, can, I can understand that it should be after he, you know, of course, he will never be with the kids, you know, in the meantime, you know, if, if something happened like that. Two days before that, he was in the basketball match with a guy, with a basketball player who has corona, you know. So this is, this is, this is relation and connection. And... Uh, I, I don't know exactly the dates and everything. This is something uh, has, Novak has to, has to explain it. I'm sure that he has good explanation for that. OK. Now, nine times he's managed to win the Australian Open, and we've got some of the trophies here behind us. Assuming that he's going to be playing in this event, yeah. is he going to win? Yeah, we are, we are very convinced, you know, because uh, his attitude and his mental strength is, is very known, you know, and uh, the, uh, I know that players are not so happy he's back on the court. <laughs> and some of, them, some of them admit that, you know. <laughs> Can I just say, Goran, thank you for joining us this morning and giving us the first reaction to the English-speaking world, and thanks again for joining us this evening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming from, from London here in Belgrade. And I, I know that it's your first time and I think you'll come more time, I'm sure, you know, for good reason. After the hospitality that I've received <laughs> from you, I will almost certainly come again. The only regret, folks, is that I was doing so well with dry January and then I met Goran and it's all gone wrong. Thank you very much You're indeed welcome. for joining us. Now, let's get an opinion from Australia. I'm joined now by Mark Higgy, former Australian ambassador to the European Union between the years 2014 and 2017 and now Europe correspondent of The Spectator Australia. Mark, good evening. Good evening, and thank you for the invitation. No, not at all. I, I did say a moment ago when I was talking to Goran that I felt the Australian government had some degree of egg on their faces. I'm going to go a bit further. I mean, frankly, um, it, it, it seems to me that it's the weak man trying to play tough uh, realising that, frankly, it's not going to work, realising there would be outrage if, after what the judge said this morning, uh, that Novak had been re-arrested. I mean, Scott Morrison, I put it to you, Scott Morrison has made a complete and utter mess of all of this. Well, look, I, I would agree with uh, much of what you've said. Um, uh, I do think it, 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 the way uh, um, he's been treated is a disgrace. I think he deserves a, um, a, an apology. Um, uh, he followed uh, all the rules in, in the way he went about applying to, to go to Australia. Um, despite all the blame shifting, the Australian government issued him with a visa. Um, that should mean that he has uh, uh, entry uh, into, in, into Australia rather than uh, this rather odd arrangement I'm afraid we have where uh, being issued with a visa isn't enough. You then need to... Uh, meet separate uh, entry requirements, uh, according to the minister. But, uh, but uh, I, the, the, um, Australia's uh, reputation in this matter has been uh, uh, rescued to an extent, as you indicated, by uh, the decision of the federal court judge uh, this morning. 
and uh, uh, who drew attention, I must say, to, uh, uh, to in addition to what he thought was the incorrect decision, but the, 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 the somewhat shabby treatment that he received on arrival at Melbourne Airport. So, um, so um, uh, the great hope, I, I, think, I think the minister would be mistaken to, uh, to uh, attempt to, uh, to, to cancel his visa on a second occasion. I think if you're, you're, in a, you're, you're in a, if you're in a hole, you stop digging, I think. Yeah, I mean, I do understand why some Australians would be upset. I think the word exemption uh, perhaps raised a few hackles amongst people. Uh, but, you know, the country has been locked down again and again and again. And in some states, lockdowns have happened after only a tiny outbreak of cases. Uh, so I do understand why there was some public anger. But, Mark, can I ask you a question? You know, we all think growing up of Australia as being this amazing, free country with incredible weather. Uh, I've never thought of Australia as being a tough, authoritarian country, but it seems to me, over the course of the last few years, that's what it's become. Where is modern Australia going? Well, look, um, firstly, the, the positives in terms of uh, what Australia has done for the past couple of years. Uh, yes, the, um, uh, the, the, the lockdowns have been very tough, but uh, um, uh, the, 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 the death toll has been uh, very, very low by global standards. Um, uh, Australia got off to a very efficient start in terms of, uh, of, of, of stopping the spread of the vaccine, and that shows up in those figures. Uh, and, and also, the other very positive thing to be said about uh, Australia's performance is that um, the, uh, after a slow start, the vaccine rollout has been very fast and very efficient. So Australia has done well on, in those areas. Um, but yes, it has to be said that after, um, after the initial stages of Australia's response, um, there, uh, the, the country slid into a sort of a zero COVID mentality, which re has resulted in, frankly, all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, uh, you know, cities and states uh, locked down in response to a handful of cases. Um, Australians like me not being able to, to go back to Australia and, and Australians not being able to, to leave Australia. These were very author authoritarian, practically unprecedented measures, uh, if you look around the world. So, um, so yes, we have, we have uh, performed positive things, but, uh, but I agree uh, it's gone on too long. Um, and and I, I'm afraid that this latest uh, uh, episode uh, is, is uh, on, very much on the negative side of the ledger. And finally, Mark, you've got elections coming up in March. How big an issue is Djokovic going to be in those elections, in your opinion? Well, I think you put your, your finger on it, uh, Nigel, when you, you, you said, uh, you know, the, the, the people do uh, uh, react badly about in, when it comes to any perception that uh, people who are in the elite get special treatment compared to ordinary people. And we see that here in this country, of course. Uh, we've seen lots of... Um, Upset about uh, you know when uh, when the, when the, the people involved in the G20 and the COP26 jamborees and uh, Hollywood celebrities somehow uh, avoid the queues and and, and the bureaucracy uh, in, in involved. But um, uh, and and I think it would be unfortunate to mix up the Djokovic case with with that very uh, legitimate uh, area of concern. This is a separate issue of. Um, uh, of overzealous bureaucrats and ministers um, uh, being, I think, grossly unfair 
to Novak Djokovic, who, um, as I said, you know, follow, follow, followed all the rules. Um, so uh, um, there, will, there, will, there will be a division of opinion. There will be some people who stick to the, the view that somehow, somehow this is uh, 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 easy, easy treatment of, um, of, of elite people and others who, who see the injustice uh, in all this. Um, and could I just add one extra thought, and that is that I, I, I was watching with great interest your, uh, uh, your uh, interviews with uh, uh, Serbian, Serbian friends there. I, I, know, I know Serbia very well. My first diplomatic posting was in, was in Belgrade, probably before Novak Djokovic was born. <laughs> but um, uh, but, but I, I think one thing that can definitively be said is that... Um, uh, is that this has got nothing to do with any kind of vendetta against uh, um, Novak Djokovic personally or anything to do with Serbia or anything like that. Uh, uh, we have nothing but friendship with, uh, with, with, okay. with Serbia and huge admiration for Novak Djokovic. This, as I said before, is a case of overzealous ministers and bureaucrats okay. getting, in, getting into a mess, frankly, which they should try and withdraw right, from Mark, as soon well, as they Mark, can. Thank you. Thank you. Mark, thank you for your very frank comments. Thank you very much indeed. In a moment, we'll talk about the fact that one in three households are genuinely worried. Can they pay the gas bill when it lands on the map this spring? Your reaction to the Novak Djokovic case. Michael on Twitter says, of course not. Deport him immediately. He's unvaccinated and doesn't have a medical exemption. Having COVID is not an exemption. He is a bad example and needs to go. Michael, that's absolute rubbish. You know, it was all laid out very clearly by the Victoria government and he complied with all of the rules. Tim comes through on GB Views and says he needs to set an example, get jabbed, reject anti-vaxxers, otherwise fight against the... Well, hundreds will die in Serbia and elsewhere if they follow his example. No, they should kick out the anti-vaxxer anti out. There's, there's quite a lot of this. There is some anger. A lot of people who are very, very pro-vaccine, well, they've been encouraged to be. Rosie on Twitter says, yes, should never have been put there. Chapper says, yes, if England can play cricket. Well, that'd be nice. And Luke, Luco says it shouldn't even be a question. And that's the point, folks. However you feel, however you feel about the vaccine, however you feel about the booster, and I do understand a majority of you believe in it and want it. I get that. This is about how we treat people who choose not to be vaccinated. Are we going to turn them into second-class citizens? Are we going to make foreign travel impossible for them for years to come? These are very real issues about freedom of choice, and I think they're very, very important. Now, survey out overnight suggesting that one in three households are genuinely worried about how they're going to pay the gas and electricity bill. Prices are going through the roof. And I'll tell you what I found very interesting over the course of the weekend. And it's this. Kwasi Kwarteng wrote on behalf of the government as a minister, wrote a big newspaper article um, on Sunday. Frankly, he might as well not have bothered. He doesn't seem to have any solutions to offer whatsoever. And yet, Rachel Reeves from the Labour Party, she is saying, put immediately a big windfall tax 
on gas and oil companies and use that money to fund the 5% cut in VAT on fuel bills and, and, and to be able to put sensible prices in place. Now, I don't agree with Rachel Reeves. I think, frankly, the oil and gas industry has suffered enough in recent times and the cancellation of the development of the Cambo oil field, I think, is proof of that. But the Labour Party are trying to offer some solutions. The Conservatives seem to be totally flat-footed and they're rejecting cutting 5% off the VAT, despite it being very much a Brexit promise. Well, joining me is Angela Knight, the former boss of Energy UK. Angela, good evening. Good evening. I saw some polling suggesting that, in, particularly in the red wall seats, a huge majority of people, particularly Brexit voters, thoroughly approve of the 5% being removed in line with things that Michael Gove and Boris Johnson said. Uh, do you understand why the government are not cutting that 5%? I, I can understand that, actually, Nigel, yes, because it's very broad brush to cut VAT. What I'm finding difficult to understand, but, you know, hopefully uh, will be enlightened soon, is why the government is not starting to talk about what actions it can and cannot take and which parts of the population of this country they're looking to protect from what is an extraordinary price rise situation that will arrive at some point. Now, I said arrive at some point because, of course, many of the suppliers will have taken very long-term contracts for the wholesale gas and wholesale electricity, which means that some of those prices out there in the wholesale market aren't actually going to materialise in our pockets. But what does look like is going to materialise is that increase, first of all, in the price cap, and that will particularly impact the lower, uh, poorer parts of the community. And what is also happening, and we kind of seem to forget about it, is that the big um, energy users in this country, big electricity users in the main, are also big yeah. employers. And it is on the electricity part of your energy bill that all these additional charges sit for the environmental and indeed the, the what we call the, the, the social uh, policy requirements. So doing something is necessary. And from my perspective, I would look at it as a whole economy issue in which some parts of the economy, those at the, the poor end of society, need some extra help. But I would think about it carefully. I wouldn't yeah. just say it's 5% on VAT, nor would I say, oh, there's some sort of big beast out there and we'll just go and cane them on tax and then everybody will have a price cut. Because I think, you know, that's what Rachel Reeves has said. I understand entirely why the Labour Party has said it. And I think you're, you're right that in saying something, you know, they're sort of flat-footing the government. But what mm. she said, yeah. in my view, yeah. really is a bit of a con. And I'm disappointed that she took that route. Yes, I mean, you mentioned the point about electricity bills. And, of course, 25 percent of electricity bills are basically green subsidies. I mean, that is something that the government could cut. But once again, of course, it would apply to every bill, regardless of people's incomes. But the government is so committed to the net zero agenda. It's that is politically very difficult for them to do, isn't it? Yes, there is nothing easy about any of this, actually, Nigel. Um, the, the whole of the energy policy, when it was created and said, right, well, we'll put the costs on the bill rather than take it out of general taxation, was at a time 
when gas was plentiful and cheap and there wasn't a world shortage and all that sort of thing. So there's a policy there for paying for all this that fits with yesterday and we're really bearing the consequences of that today, as indeed we're paying the consequences of a pandemic where everything shut down and then everything started up and then we've got Russia playing politics with the gas supply which they uh, provide uh, and they're one of the biggest, if not the biggest gas supplier in the world. And as we're not more self-sufficient, and we, we should have been more self-sufficient by this time, but we concentrating on building the wind farms and not on, you know, the, the how you get from here to be, the, the, the transition period. As we're not self-sufficient, we have a problem. But what you could do, and what I sincerely hope the government is doing, is you get round the table not just the people are having difficulty and not just the representatives of the suppliers, but also those who own the networks, you know, the electricity and the gas networks, uh, and also those who yep. do pull substantial gas out of the North Sea. Because there is something about a bit of pain for everybody, but there's also something about delaying some programs of which you could potentially delay some of the building of the offshore wind until were through this crisis and that would help. There is a lot about paying for building up our storage in this country. And then there's another question about how do you pay for that? And whilst I do think that the oil and gas extractors have got a part and a contribution that they would make, during the shutdown, of course, they were the ones who were in an awfully bad position because nobody wanted what they were producing. So it's this is this is a difficult problem and there's no magic wand but it by no means is unsolvable. And it's getting uh, out Angela, there thank you. the proper discussion and the solution. Thank you very much indeed for joining us and some very wise words there. Thank you. And Angela mentioned their self-sufficiency. You know, we import coal because we have to use coal. You know, you can't produce steel without coal. We import gas, despite the fact we've got vast reserves of gas uh, that are untapped. And, and I'd say to Rachel Reeves, rather than putting a super tax on the oil and gas industries, we ought to be actually encouraging them. What is the point, folks? How is it going green? to import gas, to import oil, to import coal, uh, and actually for our manufacturers, you know, things that were made in our country now being made in India and China, and we say we've reduced our CO2 emissions. No, we haven't. What we've done is we've exported them to other parts of the world. Frankly, the whole thing is a big con. It needs rethinking. I think we have to become self-sufficient when it comes to energy, uh, and I think at some point in time, not just that 5% on VAT, but the 25% green levy, I think at some point in time that becomes a really big political issue. Everybody in Westminster may think it's fine to chuck 25% on your electricity bill. I suspect many of, you, many of you at home would like to have a proper, open debate about it. Now, the What the Farage moments today, and I have to tell you, there are plenty of them. Gina Miller, you thought she'd gone away. No, she's back. Absolutely. And Gina will be launching. Remember, she was the anti-Brexit campaigner fought the court case. And she, on Thursday of this week, will be launching her own political party, the True and Fair Party. It's been registered with the Electoral Commission, and it will take a centre-ground stance and advocate for vital changes to the practice and machinery 
of government. My goodness me, that's got you all grabbed and ready, hasn't it? I know. I can see this, Gina, being just simply the most massive, huge success. And the story about parties just does not go away. And this is a real what the farage. It now turns out that on the 20th of May last year, and why is that date significant? Because we were in lockdown. But it was the day that Matt Hancock said to us, if you want to meet somebody, you can meet them outside, but no more than two people can meet outside at the same time. Well, on that very day of the 20th of May, there are plenty of email and witness confirmations that a party took place in the grounds of Buckingham Palace. It was held because the weather was so lovely. It was an evening event. 100 people went to it. It was a bring-your-own-bottle party. And it is said that Boris Johnson and his wife Carrie were there. I wonder, I really do wonder, how Boris thinks he can talk his way out of this one. And my final What the Farage moment, and this is just astonishing. Reports from the University of Salford near Manchester that they've now put trigger warnings on some classical literature, literature books for their students. Um, and, I mean, it is just extraordinary. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. And many, many others. Um, and the statement from the Salford University is, as a university, we never issue trigger warnings for literature, only content notes. The well-being of our students is very important to us. Some of the texts covered in the modules contain sensitive issues, such as violence and sexual violence, so we give students the opportunity to have a discussion with their lecturer in advance, if they would like to. Oh dear. We really couldn't have, could we, young people at university being upset by things that they read, even though some of these have been parts of classical literature for 150 years. What kind of country are we becoming? In a moment, here in Belgrade, in the Novak restaurant, it'll be Talking Pints, and it'll be with Novak's younger brother, Georgie. Well, it's not the GB News pub in Paddington tonight. No, no, no. We are here in Belgrade in the Novak restaurant, and this is our Talking Pints. And I'm joined by Novak's younger brother, Georgie. Georgie, welcome thank you. to Talking welcome Pints. Welcome to Belgrade. And thank you very much indeed. What a week it's been for the Djokovic family. And I've, I've been watching you, watching you, your uncle, your mum, your dad, the press conference you did today. I didn't know there were that many cameras and newspapers in Serbia, but they were all crammed into this very room. Yeah. Uh, you, look like a, you look like a very, very united family unit. We definitely are, and uh, it's, been, it's been a roller coaster of a ride through, you know, throughout the, the last six, seven days, ever since Novak uh, posted that picture on Instagram that he's going to leave for Australia. Yeah. Um, it's been a battle. It's been really tough for us to actually uh, stand by him and, and, and defend him on every possible turn and every possible front because you know we've been attacked uh, first you know from several different media all around the world um, and well of course because you're all anti-vaxxers you're a family <laughs> of anti-vaxxers that's what people have said well that's that's just not true uh, we're only uh, we're only fighting for the liberty of choice uh, and we we all think that the liberty of choice is something that every person should have. It's not about 
being called pro or anti-vax. It's about being uh, a human being able to choose for himself and not even, you don't need to say it. You just need to be with yourself and, you know, actually uh, take care of yourself, take care of everyone around you, protect yourself, and this is what, we, that this is what we're, you know, we're going for. So when that court judgment came out this morning, did you feel elated or was still that threat? Uh, did you feel the threat at that moment? Because the judge, the judge had said this, hadn't he? And, 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 and some odd things happened. I, mean, I felt very happy for all of you, but, mm. uh, but then some strange news reports circulated. There was a story that he'd been rearrested. Mm. There were a lot of Serbs surrounded a car. Uh, pepper spray was used on them. It was a very tense. I mean, despite the result of the court, it was actually a very tense morning, wasn't it? It was a very tense morning, and uh, you know, none of us have slept in the last three to five days, depending on uh, who had what role in this. Yeah. But obviously, uh, this morning when we heard the verdict, we were quite happy um, at the moment. But then, of course, you know, many. Uh, media have uh, said that he might get rearrested, that his visa might get cancelled, yeah. and then you know everything started <laughs> on and off again, uh, like we just came back six days ago. So uh, it was very tough for us. Obviously, I would just like to say for my mom and for my dad, especially, uh, they've been very emotional. They've been very. It's been very tough for them, and this is what I wanted to say: is it's been very tough for us to stand by him, defend him and take care of him and at the same time not offend anybody else because mm. obviously we do not we don't want to do that we don't want to attack anybody it's just about protecting uh, one of our own it's protecting somebody that did nothing absolutely nothing wrong which was actually uh, in the verdict right he did nothing wrong yeah. he no, did everything no, everything he, no, according he, no, to he, the law he obeyed the rules he was given and exactly so, yeah. so this is the point we were trying to make and we we did not organize all of those gatherings and the press conference to to attack anybody it was for the sole purpose of spreading the word out there and for, you know, introducing the people to his case and for, you know, obviously showing and sending a lot of love to, for Novak, for him to, to fight it off. And uh, I'm just glad, you know, I'm just glad the, the, the law still works. And this is this is something that we're looking forward to. Yeah, and he was back on a tennis court this afternoon, so yeah. that, that is pretty good news. It's a beautiful picture. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I, and, but where he was kept, I mean, it was basically a detention centre. I mean, he was arrested. It looked pretty awful, pretty grim, and I know that your mum, your dad, your uncle, yourself, you've had some very tough words to say about the conditions that he was kept in. Of course. I mean, uh, you know, we, we said goodbye to him. Uh, he was off to Australia. We said, hey, you know, off you go, good luck. Bring, bring back another trophy and uh, <laughs> then uh, about 30 hours later he was uh, you know kept in, in some sort of prison they were questioning him took away his phone but this is I don't think any of this is important right now the thing is that uh, even when we discussed the, the conditions in, in that accommodation that he stayed at the, the immigration uh, accommodation center or whatever yeah, they call it yeah um, it looked pretty grim it did um, and we all know that but uh, he did not want to talk too much about it because obviously he was uh, introduced very early that there are many other other cases in the same accommodation that he's staying at from three four months until all the way to nine years I and this, yeah. this is something that hurt him quite a bit uh, this is something that uh, kept him going and he did not want to say 
listen, you know, this is not good or this is not, the food is not great or whatever, yeah. because he knows that many of them, many, many people right there have dealing with this, yeah, have been time. dealing with this problem yeah. for a very long yeah. time, especially we heard a case about nine years. You know, obviously he feels very sorry and, uh, you know, this is not just a fight for him, this is a fight for all of yeah. them and uh, we really hope, uh, you know, everything will work out for them as well. Now, coming here to Belgrade, to Serbia, I think it's difficult perhaps for British people at home to understand just the level of fame that your brother's got. Yeah. I mean, he's on posters and billboards. I mean, he is a, he is a national... You know, you're a small country, seven million people, and, and this guy, you know, who's won 20 grand slams and all the rest of it. I mean, he is the most incredibly famous figure. And, and, and he's still only 34. Exactly. Um, he's been growing up in one of the most difficult times for our country. Explain that to people. And please. the 1999 uh, NATO bombings and uh, the sanctions, and we had a very, very difficult times uh, throughout the history of Serbia. You know, Belgrade has been in ruins more than 20 times. Um, we 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 came back and we built it up. We're still seven million. Uh, population in Serbia, and we're still fighting to get there. We 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 never attacked anybody. We're we're the ones who are uh, always defending. And this is about him growing up in a difficult, in a very difficult time. Well, and you practicing uh, exactly. I mean, no. you were. I mean, you were quite a young boy I when was all of this. Quite was young. I, I still have some, you know, some some short flashes. Not as many as Novak. Obviously, he was uh, he was uh, at that time. I think uh, 12, 11 or twelve years yeah. old. Yeah. Um, so for him, it was obviously. It is much. It was much more difficult because he was actually aware of the situation. I was a very young kid. I just loved having my family around, whatever the circumstances are, uh, you know, uh, upon me. So after that, uh, he started making success in again one of the, the difficult times of Serbia, and then we, you know, we obviously separated with our brother country Montenegro, and that was very difficult times for all of us. And he started winning all those tournaments. Obviously, his career was an uphill. Uh, career for all of his life, except for one small period when he had that elbow operation. But you know, the people love him here, and you know, he's yeah. been oh, he's been that. a great philanthropist. He's been a, a great uh, ambassador for Serbia and for Serbian people. You know, he obvious, obviously uh, shared a greater picture of Serbia than uh, than than it was actually uh, public at the moment. So. Uh, you know, we all love him for that. We all love that he's been uh, a very uh, genuine and an and, and honest guy who's been uh, not representing just himself and his family, but the whole country. No, I think that's right, he has. Now, you, you were a very promising young tennis player, and you were over in America playing tennis. and all. Quite difficult to be a young tennis, aspiring tennis player with a brother like that. Must have been quite difficult for you. Well, of course. I mean, uh, to succeed in uh, any professional sport, uh, in my case, that was tennis. It takes a lot of dedication, courage, guts, luck, ded uh, dedication. You know, you need to give up quite a bit of your life to mm. succeed professionally. Um, I was ready to do that. I, I, I started, uh, I, I moved to Germany when I was 11, so I kind of lived by myself since ever since then, and it's been... Uh, very difficult move for my family to see me going as well after Novak and after our middle brother Marco as well moved away from home. Um, but at that stage, I just I, I love tennis and I still love tennis. And tennis has given me 
more or less everything I have in my life and all the experience, all the contacts around the world and you know the greater experience than I, that I could ever ask for. Uh, the thing is, in tennis, you really need to go all the way and you need to be fully focused in order to, to make a great success. And I know even if I managed to, to you know, break into the top 100, I would never be happy because I always wanted to uh, achieve the greatest goal. And that was the goal that my brother already achieved. I've never had any sort of uh, issue with him being as successful. Okay. He was always... Uh, he was always somebody that I looked up to, and even though, and I'm not being very, I'm being objective, even though he's my brother, he really was a life role model for me on and off the court, and he still is, and, uh, you know, uh, for our family, we all started playing tennis, that's great, uh, Marco and I ended our careers quite early, yeah. uh, but we all, you know, went into different... But you're still very involved in tennis, because you're, you know, the Serbian Open, you're running that, and there's the, there's the tennis centre that I went to at lunchtime. Which... Yeah, so I've been, I've been, I've been uh, out of tennis for, uh, I think, half a decade, more or less, and then uh, last year we had uh, the, the Adria Tour, the, 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 the tournament we organised uh, post-Covid, and then we came up to an idea to bring back an ATP tournament in Belgrade after uh, I think it was uh, nine years mm -hmm. ever since we, we sold the tournament in 2012 um, and then you know we, we started talking and obviously Novak wanted the tournament to be great uh, we always had a wish to work with each other uh, we never did prior to that so then okay. we then we just uh, went into that we went into that project we made uh, Serbia open a, a very very you know, big and great tournament, and I think it went quite well in a very difficult situation at the mo at that time. That was, uh, we had full full on COVID restrictions with no yeah. uh, crowd participation, uh, with players testing every other day, and that was that was quite chaotic. But you know, we we managed to do that. We had actually uh, two ATP 250s and one WTA, with uh, one and one ATP and WTA challenger as well. So we had. You know, in, in just two months, we had uh, five events uh, in the no, Novak tennis, tennis is, Center. Tennis is going places yeah, in Serbia. It was uh, after of such you know. a long time of having yeah. none of those great professional tournaments yeah. in Serbia. We, we, we just kind of had they five in two months. Good for you. Yeah. Now, just share with the audience what we've got here. These are the Australian exactly. replicas. There was nine of those. And I looked at your cabinet earlier, and I'm told that after the court judgment this morning, they're having to redesign it so there's room for a tenth. And these are the number one in the world. Yeah. Cups. It's, it's pretty amazing. And, it's pretty uh, amazing. I mean, we're, when we look into you know, the Grand Slam trophies, there's 20. Um, then he's got how many year-end year ones? Seven, if I'm not mistaken. Seven, yeah. I mean, that's, that's just it's amazing. It's off the charts. Yeah, I mean, we kind of... Uh, we forget about what he actually did uh, because you get lost into so much uh, success. He wins tournament after tournament. He comes back every Grand Slam and he just <laughs> goes all the way. And then he loses a final like he did against Medvedev in New York. Yeah. And then you just get sad. And then, uh, you know, what if, what if, what if? Yeah. But then you come back two days later, especially in this uh, small museum that my father made. And, it's fantastic. And it's, it's, kind well, of, it's been a great privilege, yeah. can I say, Georgie, to meet you, 
to come and spend some time here with the family. It's been uh, my pleasure. And uh, when you're over for Wimbledon, I look forward to catching up with you again. Likewise. And thank you for joining us here on Talking Points. Thank Pints. you very much. Thank you. Well, that was Georgie. And wasn't that great? What a family they are. Now, we're coming towards the end of the show. A couple of minutes left. And it is Barrage the Farage. Now, they're printed out, but I haven't read them yet, I promise you. So here goes. Andrew asks me, what would the consequences of the Scottish Conservatives breaking away from Westminster being? Well, this has happened pretty much with the other political parties. The Scottish parties have been operating very separately to the London-based parties. I don't think for the Conservatives, uh, the fact that, that they will have a great degree of independence in Scotland from the rest of the Conservative Party, I don't see that being a barrier. I don't see that being a problem. It all depends on policies. And if you can drive a coach and horses between what Boris Johnson's party is saying in England and what's being said in Scotland, then you would have a real issue. Julie says, did you see Piers Morgan had a pop at your Banana Republic comment after Novak and the Aussies, um, saying they're only protecting their borders. What's your response? Ah, peers, you've joined up with all the hard left. The hard left all said that what I was saying meant that I didn't agree with proper border controls, that I'd turn my back on an Australian-style point system. Absolute, total and utter rubbish. This wasn't about borders. Countries have rules under which you can get in. And it was clear that Djokovic had met and obeyed those rules. So I think Piers Morgan misunderstood it. And frankly, I'll tell you this, if the Australian immigration minister does re-arrest Novak, Australia will be a banana republic. I just don't think they're quite going to go there. But I think Piers Morgan there, uh, frankly, willfully, willfully misinterpreting what the situation was. Jade on Twitter says, if COVID passports are implemented in the UK, would you absolutely refuse to comply? Hey, I'm not showing a COVID passport just to go to the pub. I'm just not doing it, all right? Now, it may mean I can't go to the pub. It may mean I can't go back to a restaurant. But I, I think we've got to fight back against this. The state is taking way too much power. They're using this pandemic in a way that is unacceptable. And they're dividing the country up into the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. What you do with your body within reason, provided it isn't having an adverse effect upon others, should be up to you. And I really do, as someone that's been vaccinated, feel that very, very strongly indeed. Russell says, did you recommend your children to be, invected, to be injected? Never comment on my children and what they do. I'm not going to start doing that now. You know, that, that would be wrong. Jonathan says, why is Boris acting dumb and has nothing to say on illegal migrants and inflation? No, he's had lots to say about inflation. In October, he said there was no prospect of real inflation coming into the economy. He denied that at the dispatch box last week. But central banks... Prime Ministers and Presidents around the Western world have been in denial about inflation. It's a disease of money. It's caused by government. It's here, and I suspect it's here to stay for quite some time. That's it from me. All being well, the snow not being too deep, I'll be back in a London studio with you tomorrow. <laughs>